It's the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. It's brought to you by Pike Nurseries, your neighborhood garden center. Playing in the dirt for more than 50 years. Call now with your lawn and garden questions at 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. And now, here's Walter. It's 7.08 on a Saturday morning, 56 degrees outside. This is Lawn and Garden. I'm Walter Reeves, the Georgia Gardener, here to help you be more successful doing whatever you want to do in the landscape. And if you want to grow hydrangeas, have I got a deal for you. The, what is it, 8th annual, 7th annual, whatever, the annual Penny McHenry Hydrangea Festival will be going on in Douglasville in the next couple of weeks. Let's get my dates right here. Unless, Ashley, unless you have it there in front of you. I do. It's what June is? 6th and 7th in Douglasville. It's the 8th annual Penny McHenry Hydrangea Festival. Wow. Eight, oh, man. Penny McHenry, if people don't know the history behind her, Penny McHenry had a, um, let's say, a very varied, varied job uh, lineage in the entertainment industry. She moved to Atlanta, and she got one or two hydrangeas and just loved them, just thought hydrangeas were the most fabulous plant in the world. She got more. She planted them in her yard. Pretty soon, her yard was full of different kinds of hydrangeas. And uh, she said, well, we need to find some more people who like hydrangeas. And she looked around. There were people, but they weren't organized. She said, well, let's have an American Hydrangea Society. And she was, she was the founding president of the American Hydrangea Society. Sadly, passed away several years ago, but her name lingers on in this big hydrangea festival out in Douglasville. Let's give away. What do we got to give away, Ashley? Two tickets. Two okay. garden tour tickets to the uh, Penny McHenry Hydrangea Festival. They're good for either June 6th or 7th. Okay, and two tickets to the lecture by Tara Dillard, who is one of the co-founders of the American uh, Hydrangea Societies. So we got two tickets for the tour, two tickets for the lecture, and we'll give it away to what caller, Ash? Caller number three. Caller number three to 404 Third caller, two tickets to the Hydrangea Tour as well as two tickets to the Tara, Tara Dillard Lecture. At 7.09 at News Talk WSB, we got Phyllis Indicator, who has a question about her squash this morning. Hey, Phyllis, good morning. Good morning. How can I help, Joyce. Phyllis? I don't know why I'm always Phyllis, but that's okay. What is your real name? Joyce, J-O-Y-C-E. Well, you need to spell it next time. We'll get it right. That's okay. I'll That's just call okay. Phyllis. I just need to find out about my squash. What about them? They are little squash like my thumb. They, 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 last year I had giant squash. Right. Everywhere giant squash. This year, they are just little. Everything in my garden is not growing tall this time. So it's would you say that the, the squash, does it just turn this little, but it doesn't grow any bigger, and it turns sort of a grayish-brown rots and falls off the plant? They, they stayed on for two weeks, just yellow. Huh. And they're not growing bigger. I put, um, I decided maybe I should water them with miracle Grow. Yeah, the flower, uh, I mean, the squash grew bigger and greener, but the little vegetables are still no bigger than my thumb. I will just bet you that the problem is all about pollination because pollination is what causes a fruit to grow, a complete pollination is what causes a fruit to grow bigger and bigger after it starts out little bitty bitty there at the, right underneath the flower of a squash plant. So if you see a little bitty squash about oh, an inch maybe or two long beneath the flower, that is the female flower. And if it gets yeah. lots of pollen brought in by bees, then the interior of that uh, female flower gets pollinated, seeds start forming, and when seeds start forming in that little bitty squash, it begins to grow bigger and bigger and bigger, and pretty soon it's ready to harvest, and you make squash casserole, and everybody's happy. But bottom line, I think pollination would most likely explain why they don't get any bigger. Okay, but I went right. I remember she said that, so I went looking all around at the other squash. Right. Looks like I just got females. They all have little squash behind them. That's funny. Usually it's the males that come up 
first, and then the females lag mm-hmm. a little bit behind I've that. got female squash all around. So do I have to have the squash get uh, pollen pollen from the squash? Yeah. yeah I you mean, have from to, a squash room and not pollinate one of the flowers that uh, does not have a little squash underneath it, that's a male flower. It has lots of pollen inside. And honestly, if you want to, one of the easiest ways to ensure pollination on squash or cucumbers or um, you know cantaloupes and things like that, all in the squash family, is to find a male flower, one that does not have the little baby squash on it, and cut mm-hmm. away all the petals and expose the interior and just stick that into the female flower and sort of shake it around a little bit so pollen is transferred without insects but with you. So I just take the whole male bloom off? Yeah. Clip it off and of the shake parasitism. it around as, as many as I can. Just stick them into one female and the next female. You could probably get three female flowers pollinated with the pollen from one male flower on a squash. Oh, I got to go out there and look. I think that's what you need to do. But again, okay, the difference what? between them. You know, Phyllis, the male flower has no squash underneath it. Female flower does have a little squash. And if bees or you don't take the pollen from one to the other, you'll get little bitty squash or squash that turns uh, gray and falls off the plant. Okay, because they weren't falling off. That's why I called, because yeah. I remember you said that they uh you need they need more pollen so i kept waiting for them to grow bigger because they didn't fall off and turn gray sure one of the best things you can do is plant a plant that has uh, the potential to attract a lot of bees uh bee balm is one good plant for planting around your squash um let's see what else agastache or agastache some people call it it's a little blue sometimes white flower you get them at pikes i got a bunch of them at pikes i saw the other day agastache um most anything flowering is going to need some sort of insect assistance and so if you put those flowers in your garden it attracts bees bees do the pollination and you got big squash and like i say everybody's happy hey phyllis i gotta go but thanks for calling this morning 404-872-0750 gets you in for phyllis's slot billy is out in canton and he joins us on lawn and garden hey billy good morning hey walter how you doing i'm all right what you got i've got two pests that i've never had before but heard about (laughs) um i've got what i think are called thrips yeah, and I've also got spider mites, Ooh. and I've done some research, looked up what the symptoms are, and I've pretty definitely identified them as both of those on your roses. Well, I've got spider mites on my verbena, pretty bad, mm-hmm. and I've got spider mites all over two different kinds of roses. I got knockouts and ginger snaps. Yeah, this is tough because you're not going to get full control with beneficial insects, and you're not going to get any control if you don't treat it with some sort of insecticide. So let me think what I think you ought to do here is what's the best way to avoid the pollinators and the uh, beneficials and still get control of the spider mites. There are a couple of drenches, and you may have to go online to look for this, but do a little more research, Billy. And uh, there's, what is it called, azomite is one, and avid is another one that are miticides. I don't know how well they'll control anything else, but they are miticides. But you need to look online because I would never see them at uh, Pike Nursery or any other nursery around town. So that's where you buy miticides, usually from Amazon, let's say, online, and treat them with that. And that'll get rid of spider mites. Because verbena, you probably are correct on the verbena. They get spider mites very easily. Okay. Um, Just to to maybe put some validity to this treatment that I've read about, Somebody said you could put some kind of sticky yellow or blue colored pad on a stick near whatever you're getting. That'll get Uh, the bigger flying insects, but it won't get any spider mites because they don't fly. Okay. Okay. Well, the bigger problem is the thrips. 
because I mean they're just destroying yeah, the blooms. I mean, every bloom that's coming up is brown over three, three or four different roses. That's another place where insecticides are your best bet. For thrips, okay. you get some control, and I think you'll get better control with this easily available product than anything else, and that's the Bayer tree and shrub or the bonide systemic granules, the same chemicals, same thing in both okay. of them. But Bayer tree and shrub, I think, controls thrips pretty well, but you need to do it early while they're still sort of wandering around uh, on the plant and not when they get ensconced in the flower, turning it all brown, making it ugly. So okay. you know, get it done as quick as you can. I will. Sir, right. I will. Billy, great talking to you. Thank you, sir. We'll see you, man. We've got who's on the line? Matt's out in Douglasville and the source of the Penny Henry Hydrangea Festival. Hey, Matt, good morning. Hey, Walter, how you doing? I'm all right. What's going on? I have a large water oak tree that I trimmed back a couple of years ago. Yeah. And on one of the larger limbs that we took off, it had a crevice in it, and I've got a family of squirrels living <laughs> in it, and wondering if, <laughs> if I can uh, get them out of there and maybe fill that in, or, or, or will they even hurt the tree? They won't hurt the tree. So you're fine. Right. I mean, even if the crevice holds water, you won't hurt the tree, or anything you do will hurt the tree more than leaving the water in the crotch. Even with squirrels or no squirrels in there, trees have a have a way of healing wounds. And whatever happened to this tree, where the limb fell off or broke out or something like that, many years ago, the tree, as soon as it senses the oxygen where it wasn't supposed to be, it sort of builds a wall, a wall of real thick cells that are hard that you can't water can't penetrate, and most fungi can't penetrate either. And so the tree heals itself, but still the hole is there. And the squirrel comes along and says, "Hey, look over here, for rent. All right, let's go." And so the squirrels make their their uh, home inside there, but they generally speaking don't do any more digging into the tree. They just occupy what's there. Well, that's great. I appreciate your yeah, time, Walter. Nothing to do. That's my favorite thing to do, Matt, is tell people, you don't have to do anything. It's going to take care of itself. You're fine. Yeah, I love that answer myself. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you, Matt. All right. Take care. 717 at News Talk WSB. You're listening to Lawn and Garden. This is Scott Slade, host of Atlanta's Morning News on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We'll be covering breaking news, Kirk Mellis weather, and traffic red alerts through the weekend. And the Southeast's largest news team is here for you first thing Monday morning when you head back to work. News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Now back to Walter Reeves and the lawn and garden advice you need. And a quick weather update brought to you by Ackerman Security. It is going to be pretty much gorgeous today. Garden. Don't garden, do whatever you want to. It's going to be pretty. The weather's going to be great. Highs this afternoon will be in the low 80s, and then it'll be a nice clear night. Lows in the mm, low 60s overnight. And Atlanta's best and most accurate weather forecast comes up in 10 minutes on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Kathy comes to us from Brookhaven talking about one of my favorite plants. Hey, Kathy, good morning. Hi, Walter. So what do you got? I have limelight hydrangeas. What a fabulous plant. Yeah. And they were planted about eight years ago, and they've done great. You know, every year they grow 10 feet high and <laughs> 8 feet wide. And But this last year, they went, you know, thought they were okay, b- became the buds, mm-hmm. but they never opened. None of, oh. almost, well, none of them. They, one or two little would open on oh. the flower, you know. So you're but, saying but, right now there are no leaves particularly on all of them, or just one of them or two of them, or what? Oh, no. They look great this year. Again, <clears throat> last year they looked great, too. And But when they bloomed, the bloom bud didn't open up. Uh, 
There's a lot of things you can blame on the environment. I want to take this opportunity to do that again. <laughs> I'm guessing drought or cold, but I'm not sure because mine, mine looks great. Sorry to uh-huh. hear about yours there, Kathy, but mine looks fabulous. Yeah, I mean, they looked great last year till they bloomed. Yeah. And, and then they didn't. I've never had that happen. And I was just very frustrated. For listeners who catch the enthusiasm in my voice about this plant, there's little lime, which is a smaller version of the limelight hydrangea, and then there's limelight, which is what Kathy has. Limelight gets pretty big. It's big, long flower clusters when they do bloom, as Uh Kathy doesn't get, but nonetheless, they have big flower clusters on the end. They bloom in sort of mid-summer, mid-late spring to mid-summer, I guess, and uh, sometimes can get big enough and floppy enough, they just flop over things because the flowers on them are so heavy, but a gorgeous, yeah, gorgeous plant. Yeah, they get as big as my head. Yeah. I like, and frankly, Kathy, the one that I have right now is a little line, the one that's dwarf and gets about three, mm-hmm. three and a half maybe feet high and about four feet wide. And I have one already in the landscape and I liked it so much so I want to mash it with another one. So I was sitting on my patio uh, mm-hmm. thinking, when's Walter going to plant me now? <laughs> so <laughs> I've got a little lime hydrangea that uh, needs attention pretty quickly. But that's what I do. I love limelight and little lime hydrangea. They are called a panicle hydrangea for listeners who want to distinguish that between that and the, uh, the blue and pink at normal hydrangeas. So the limelight, fabulous plant, little lime, smaller version of it. You can prune them in the wintertime and they'll still bloom because they bloom on new wood. What's not to like about little lime and limelight hydrangea? They are awesome plants. And of course, my friends at Pike Nursery have a bunch of them because that's where I went to buy mine last week. 404-872-0750 is the number on lawn and garden. It's 56 degrees outside. 727 we'll be back after news. It's the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. It's brought to you by Pike Nurseries, your neighborhood garden center. Playing in the dirt for more than 50 years. Call now with your lawn and garden questions at 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. And now, here's Walter. 735 at News Talk WSB. This is Lawn and Garden. I'm Walter Reeves, the Georgia Gardener, and I'm here to help you by talking to you on the phone, answering questions, making sure everybody gets an education. Pretty soon we'll have everybody in Atlanta and the metro area educated about landscaping, gardening, bug control, nuisance pet, pest, nuisance vertebrate animals control. Anything you want to ask this morning is free to ask 404-872-0750. Clinton's out in Grayson, Georgia, and Clint joins us. Lawn and Garden. Hey, Clint, good morning. Hey, Mr. Walter, how you doing, sir? I'm fine, Clint. How can I help? Uh, I got a question about a palm tree, about transplanting it. Yeah. I'm not 100% sure what kind of palm tree it is, but it's, it's, I'd say it's been in the ground for about eight years or so. It's only two that'll be hardy enough to live there for eight years, the needle palm and windmill palm, and if it has any kind of trunk to it, I want to call it a windmill palm. No, it's real short. How far is real short? Two feet or five feet? Uh, I'd say right in between there. It's, it ain't, it's probably four feet tall. And do you see a trunk of any kind underneath or underneath the leaves? A little bit, yes, sir. 
still think it's needle palm. But what what do you want to do with it, Clint? Well, anyway, what I want to do is transplant it, or, or if if you think it's worth saving, or if um, uh, if, if it's you know, if I transplant it, will it just like go into shock? I, I don't know. I've never dealt with palm trees. Before. You know, palms are sometimes easier to transplant than regular trees, rather than a, a maple or a, you know some other tree, dogwood maybe that you find in the woods. I think you're more likely this time of year to kill the maple, kill the dogwood, whereas a palm tree transplanted and properly taken care of for the next three or four months would probably do fine because of the way the roots work on uh, hardwood trees, the maples and the oaks and hickories and things like that. They usually have four to ten maybe main roots that come out from the base of the trunk and spread out and then they subdivide and you got little feeder roots way out 15 or 20 feet away whereas with palm roots most of them are concentrated right in the ground underneath the plant and they don't spread very far so when you dig them up you don't have the same percentage of roots that are severed and left behind so the palm is pretty able to take the stress of being moved around as long as you keep water on the roots for the next two or three months okay all right. Well, so you uh, should be, the bottom line is you should be fine, but you have to water it. I've mentioned before that I have this uh, plastic bag that's called a what a tree gator, T R E E G A T O R yep. tree gator, and I love that thing around yep. plants. I really don't want to lose. Fill a tree yeah. gator once or twice a week. Awesome plant. Awesome tool. Yep. All right. Well, that answers my question. I appreciate it, sir. Good talking to you, Clint. We'll see you soon. Yes, sir. And, of course, where do you get a tree gator? You get it from Pike Nursery. That's where I got mine. There, There's the sort of cone that's green. There's the, I call it the mushroom. There's one that's sort of a ring that goes around the base of the tree that's brown. And either way, you fill it full of water. It drips water into the ground, and you can go off for a couple of days without any worries that your newly planted shrubs or trees are, are going to be watered correctly. Sarah is in Dallas, Georgia, and Sarah joins us this morning on Lawn and Garden. Hey, Sarah, good morning. Good morning, Mr. Reeves. I have a question about using Roundup in a vegetable garden. Okay. Now, on the label, it said that you can prepare the bed, you know, before you plant. Sure. But you can't spot treat. Now, my question is, um, when a garden is young, you know, there's this pretty b- big space several feet between certain plants. Right. And it wouldn't be difficult holding just a little spray bottle, like I call it, like a Windex bottle. Yeah. You're not using a sprayer with a wide swath. And, and not get the spray around. But my question is, would you be making the soil toxic? Even if, even if you're not damaging the plants or anything mm-hmm. around it, are you doing bad things to the soil? Science <laughs> says no. I know there are organic gardeners who will rise up against me to say that they believe spraying Roundup on any part of a vegetable garden where you're going to eat things out of it is going to poison the vegetables. But science says no, that glyphosate is pretty quickly bound onto soil particles and then breaks down pretty quickly after that in the presence of sunlight and water. And so if the label, and there are different, and this is the confusing part, i got to tell you, Sarah, but there are different Roundup or glyphosate, the active ingredient, there are different glyphosate products, and some have a label for being used on vegetable gardens, even though they have the same thing in the bottle as another product that says do not use on vegetable gardens. So personally, I feel safe using it very carefully, very well directed just at the weeds, and I use it in my vegetable and fruit uh, gardens commonly. But I'm real, real sure not to do it on a windy day and to you know, direct the stream right exactly where I want to on the, on the plant I want to kill. 
Oh, well, that's wonderful. You have just made my aging body just <laughs> very happy. Yeah, but it's another... i I can go get my little spray bottle of Roundup and get busy. <laughs> another case of Mr. Reeves telling somebody else to go do something out of the garden. So. <laughs> Thank you so much. You bet, Sarah. Be careful. Don't do it on a windy day. You should I, be fine. I won't. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. You bet. Thanks for calling. Douglas is in Powder Springs, and he's with us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, Douglas. Hey, Walt. How are you today? All right. What you need? Well, I've got a problem. My neighbor's backyard, we have Bermuda grass, and his yard is probably about 50% consumed with these brown, big brown spots all yeah. over it. Now, I've seen about three little spots, probably about four inches across in my yard. I'm concerned that whatever he has is going to affect my yard the same way. What is it, and how do I uh, fix the problem? Let me ask you, does your neighbor have any kind of irrigation system he's using all the time? No. That I'm asking that because many times, many times when I hear folks talk about the brown patch and the spreading you know, nature of this disease in their lawn, it's because they have an irrigation system and they water too frequently. Um, and the brown patch or the other kinds of patch-forming uh, fungi that get onto lawn grasses, they're pretty much everywhere. You can't um, sort of say, well, if his lawn has a disease, it's necessarily because of him that's coming into my lawn. Usually the, the brown patch and other patch-forming diseases just have spores everywhere. And if they get the wrong environment, or for them the right environment, meaning way too wet, way too moist with the leaves being kept wet overnight, that's when you get the disease that starts spreading and killing the grass and everything. Yeah, because he doesn't have an irrigation system in his yard, yeah. but I have one, but I had to use mine in a couple of years. <laughs> Good for you. You know, Douglas, what I would do is um, get one of the lawn fungicides. Pike carries two or three, and you know, other other nurseries have a couple of lawn fungicides, and just mm -hmm. spray that on your patches. That way, you know that you're protected, and whatever nature brings to uh, to try to attack your grass is still protected against fungi. So that's what I would do. So just spray it on the patches. Um, you know, if the environment's going to affect all parts of the lawn, it's probably better to spray the whole lawn. Okay, great. Awesome. That's what I'll do. All right. Hey, great talking Thank to you, Douglas. Thank you. It's 7.42 and 57 degrees outside. Great, great, great Saturday morning. Shabra is in Decatur and joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, Shabra, good morning. Hi, Hi Walter. How can I help? I just wanted to ask you, the dirt in the landfill, yeah. is it as good as the one you buy in the bag? Depends on which one you buy in the bags. There's some bagged planting soils that I think are fabulous. miracle Grow Pike makes a good uh, sort of planting soil, for lack of a better word, that you mix in with your native soil, and they work great. And then there's some bagged topsoil. Usually I find it for a dollar, dollar and a half a bag. And that is the sorriest stuff in the whole wide world. So okay. if you're getting compost from a landfill like DeKalb County, I know all the citizens of DeKalb County can go and pick up mulch or they yes, call it sort of half mulch, half compost from, from uh, Memorial Drive, the one up on Buford Highway, one down at Seminole Road. And I have been to the operation that takes your yard trimmings and grinds them up and composts them for a while and then drops them out of these pickup sites around DeKalb County. And... In my observation, there was actually very little grass going into it. It's all leaves and limbs and things that have been ground up. And they're composted over, what, five, six months, I guess, down in Seminole Road. And as far as I'm concerned, it's safe to use on a garden. Sometimes if you go to a pickup place, it'll be all chunks, and sometimes it'll be really, really finely composted. Not, not a lot of quality control in the uh, stuff that's delivered each week. But I feel comfortable using the DeKalb County compost. 
You don't have to add anything? You know, I add the compost to my native soil, sort of 50-50 or maybe a third compost to two-thirds native soil and dig it in real good. That's what I do. Thank you, Walter. Good luck with it. Thanks All for right, calling me, it's 744. Whose turn is it next? Butch is out in Lawrenceville or Loganville or one of those L-villes we have around here. Hey, Butch, good morning. Hey, thanks for taking my call, man. Hey, and first before I ask my question, I want to thank you for all the stuff that I've learned listening to your show. Then so. I have to thank all my listeners for all the stuff that I've learned listening to the questions they have and trying to figure out an answer, Butch. We're, it's a mutually beneficial relationship. There you go. Hey, listen, I got a pin oak in my front yard. It's a pretty big tree. And for the last few weeks, there's a lot of leaves falling off this tree. Like it's almost like it's the fall of the year, but they're not brown. They're they're kind of a green and maybe a yellowish green. Are there any uh, things attached to the leaf, any spots or anything you can sort of say this is what caused it to fall off? No, not really. It just it almost looks like it's uh, September, October, you know, type stuff. And I, there was so many that I'm having to, you know, I'm having to blow them off. You know, <laughs> kind of like the fall of the year. But I don't see, and the tree looks healthy. You know, everything, all the other leaves that are on there are looking good. So. I, I I can't really figure out what's going on with this thing. You know how doctors sometimes will look at you and do an exam when you're feeling bad, and they'll say, um, take a couple of aspirin and check with me again in two weeks. <laughs> so, you know, what I'm going to have to say about your tree is that if it overall looks good, it looks healthy, it probably has a reason for dropping some of the... I'm guessing older leaves there and wants to put on new leaves on the plant so it's putting all its nitrogen and other resources out towards the ends of the branches and anything inside the tree is sort of gone okay. drop it to the ground so okay. that's my guess if the overall health of the tree looks good if it's generally got leaves on every branch and they seem to be green and, and not too bad and just a, occasional leaves falling off or even heavily like you're describing I still think the tree is probably okay Okay. All right. That sounds good, because I sure would hate to lose this thing. I'd be a take two, take, 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 two, take two aspirin, Butch, and uh, call me in a couple of weeks, and we'll find out whether I'm right or wrong. That's what you do. I appreciate it, Walter, and have a good day. You betcha, Butch. Thanks for calling. All right. It's thank you. It's 7.46 and one half at News Talk WSB. Time to talk about Cuba. We just got back two weeks ago. We just got back from this fabulous garden trip to Holland, to Amsterdam, and Bruges, and Ghent, and Rotterdam, and all the places around the Netherlands, and it was great. Had a big cruise boat that we got to go up and down the rivers and the canals and look at gardens and look at uh, historical sites, the Anne Frank House, and things like that. It was a great trip, great guests, just the best in the whole wide world. And they asked me, several people asked me already, are you going to Cuba in October? I really love to go to Cuba now before the Starbucks and the McDonald's gets there. And that is true. We're going to Cuba this October. And if you want some details about that trip, you can go to my website and just type the word Cuba and their little page about Cuba 2015 will come up for you. You can see sort of the details and where we're going. And the difference between this trip to Cuba and some of our previous trips is that Havana is sort of in the north central part of Cuba. And if you go east, it's drier. They have agricultural places, but they're away from the highway. Whereas if you go west, you see a lot more agriculture and tobacco and various things like that being grown. They have a lot of historical stuff as well as natural caves and stuff that we'll go to. So uh, they'll be a little bit different from other trips that we've taken to Cuba. This will be a new place that we'll go and see what happens over on the western side of Cuba and do our people-to-people tour. Remember, this is legal. This is all sanctioned by the State Department and everything else, even with the uh, recent relaxation in, uh, in the contact between the two 
two uh, countries. We're still legal and doing it fine. If you want details, of course, go to WalterReeves.com and type the word Cuba. And let's go to Cuba in 2015. It's 748. You're listening to Lawn and Garden. This is Scott Slade, host of Atlanta's Morning News on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We'll be covering breaking news, Kirk Mellish weather, and traffic red alerts through the weekend. And the Southeast's largest news team is here for you first thing Monday morning when you head back to work. News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Now back to Walter Reeves, the lawn and garden advice you need. And a quick weather update brought to you by Ackerman Security. Sunshine, clear skies. Yeah, you're going to have a bunch of it today. Highs go up into the low 80s. No rain. No rain at all. We're supposed to have a little rain next week. You heard Brad a minute ago, so take that into account as you plant things tonight. Clear skies remain. Lows dropping down to the low 60s. Full weekend forecast comes up in 10 minutes on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Martin is with us. Martin's out in Marietta and joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, Martin. Good morning. Hey, good morning, Walter. What's up? I have um, a group of four Leland cypress uh, that I've transplanted over the course of the last couple of seasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the the older one, well, I actually went in first, and uh, then this past uh, well early early spring, well yeah. actually fall, I mean winter, I put in the the other three. So. I'm looking at them now, and I'm noticing that the the one that has been in there now well over a year has developed these little grayish, light blue grayish mm. nodules at the ends of the at the very tips of the uh, the branches. Yeah, long long explanation of what you're seeing, but a very very short answer: seeds. Or perhaps seed cones, <laughs> two words there. That's what it is, Leland cypress. So you don't think of them being a seed-forming plant, but some of them do sometimes make these little um, blue-gray seed cones. They look a lot like an arborvitae seed cone, too. But that's what it is, a seeds. So this is a good thing. It's a good thing for the Leland cypress. I don't know if it's a good thing for you or not. We don't eat them or anything, Martin, but generally not harmful. Certainly but I mean, it's it's not a it's not it's not a disease no. Uh, issue. No, not at all. Uh, okay, well that's now. What, what might I expect the other three trees subsequently to develop those? Uh, as they uh, it mature. seems to, it seems to me it's more genetic than anything else because it's not every Leland that'll do it. I see you know a row of Leland cypresses, some of which have seeds, the rest of which are completely clean and green, have nothing on them. It probably has something to do with age of the plant, whether it's you know sexually mature or not. But whether whether or not I know or you know what causes it, nature knows what causes it. And nature's just happy with it, and it doesn't hurt the tree at all. Excellent. Well, that's very good news. Yeah, great talking to you, Martin. Thank you, now. It's 7.57 on a Saturday morning. Coming up in the next half hour, Stella wants to talk about her euonymus leaves browning. Already, I think I know what's going on. Stella's euonymus. Chris wants to talk about his evergreens that are also brown. Kathy helps us seed some Bermuda seed. Needs a little bit of advice on that. We'll talk to Bob in Douglasville. Our number is 404-872-0750. More Lawn and Garden coming up in the next hour after news. Shine. 